The car you drive every day should be fun. But it has to do the boring stuff too, like commute, be affordable, and haul your groceries. You can have both, and we'll help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Today. So next Tuesday, Paul will be back with us, and he will have many, many, many stories, I'm sure, from being in both Tokyo and Korea. I know he was visiting Hyundai while he was over there and a few Japanese car makers as well. There will be many stories from Paul that I will be hearing for the first time just like you guys. So between now and then, happy Friday to you. Chance is back with us. Hello, Chance. Hey, guys. How you doing? And uh, so we seemed to, it seemed to kind of work last time. He and I stumbled through. We got through it. Look at us. So uh, we're going we're gonna to dive in again this evening with more car debates and some news and a lot of Facebook questions. Some of you actually asked Facebook questions specifically to Chance, which I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. So we've got yeah. a lot of stuff to cover this evening. It's going to be very cool. Uh, our two car debates coming up. One is James in Australia writing us with some challenging requests. So I, uh, I had to really think about this one for a while, but I think I've come up with something for him. So that'll be interesting. Yep, that was a, that and then, was a tricky one. Yep. Yeah, definitely. And then Craig's writing to us from Maryland. And I actually picked this one because I knew you were going to be with me, Chance, because he is a Mustang owner, a long time Mustang owner. And I yes. thought, you know, I can kind of speak Mustang, but at some point I'm not your guy and Chance is your guy. So Craig, <laughs> we're going to talk for you as well about your Cobra and, and what's next. So I'm looking forward to both of those. But we should cover the thing that is in the news, car news at least, uh, because anytime Tesla does anything, it's in the news. Yeah, so I, I, I kind of feel like we have to touch on it, even though there's a part of me that just goes, Tesla news again? Uh, but anyway, the, the, the thing that happened, the big announcement last night, which they teased as they always do, hey, big announcement coming. The big announcement was we're going to have all of our cars going forward in December are going to be kind of pre-built, pre-loaded for full autonomy. Yeah. And based on what I have a coworker who's who has a Model Three on reservation, and he's always bugging me. Hey, did you hear this? Did you hear that? And so a couple of days ago, he's like, Hey, did you hear this was delayed a couple of days? And I was like, Um, no, but that's cool. <laughs> and yeah. uh, we we all thought it was going to be a, a Model Three update, the Part Two that they've been talking about. Elon Musk like even yeah. even yeah. tweeted about hinting it that's that what that's it what it was. Yep, exactly. And then they dropped a blog post. I don't think they even streamed it. I think it was just a blog post that talks about this. It's it's interesting because it's it's one of those classic read between the lines marketing things here. And and I actually dug into this a little bit, and I've been reading other people's commentary on it as well. But I dug into it a little bit. And the thing I think is interesting is the, the the fact that Tesla isn't run like any car company. That's the big thing that I notice. Every time they do a big reveal, it's it's much more like an Apple reveal than it is yeah. a car reveal. It's yeah, always it's huge. everyone knows about it, and... and it's and it's also the suggestion of you just sit there quietly, consumer, and let us tell you what you need. Let us announce the future to you, and clap it always at the right has points. that feel. Exactly, it it always has that feel, and and. Candidly, I mean, sometimes that's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're, they're presenting something to us and we're all going, I never thought of that. That's the thing I've always wanted. Sometimes it is that. Yeah. But, it, but that's definitely the approach. And it's also kind of the demeanor with which they release everything. And, and between the lines on this self-driving thing is, are a couple inter- interesting things, I feel like. One, they're doubling down on autonomy. You know, while it's in the news, obviously, the guy that died while driving autopilot, and we've talked about that already, it's not like Tesla's shying away. Now, the company they originally partnered with a, a little while back, this isn't really recent, but a little while back, they actually left that partnership with Tesla, didn't want to be involved with Tesla anymore on their uh, using their autonomy skills toward Tesla. They didn't think Tesla was doing it right. 
Okay. But yeah. Tesla's doubling down, which is interesting. And the other thing about this that I find fascinating that is, I don't know, it's, it's a very big announcement with a lot of safety for Tesla. And what I mean by that is they're saying that starting in December, what's, ha what's really happening is all of their cars are going to kind of be technology-wise preloaded for full autonomy. They're going to have better cameras and sensors and all this kind of stuff. But if you read down through the fine points, you get down to the, to the meat of it, most of the stuff you're hoping for when you hear that, which is, I mean, because they talk about, oh, you're going to be able to summon your car, you're going to be able to sit into your car and tell it a destination and never touch anything, and it's going to drive you there. Yeah. Or if it doesn't know, I mean, this sounds like your latest app on your phone, doesn't it? If it doesn't know, then it's going to look at the calendar and be like, oh, it's, it's 8.30 in the morning. You must want to go to work, and it's going to drive you there automatically. All this sounds cool until you read way down in the fine print. <laughs> that, um, yeah, exactly. We don't know when all of this will be available. That's what they say. They have no idea when it's going to be available. It's going to depend on them developing the software and local regulations. Mm -hmm. So while the cars will have kind of hopefully pre-built for the future, future-proofed technology-wise a little bit, they still have plenty of time to do software and to actually get this approved and meanwhile, California is, is talking to all of the automakers, and I'm including Volvo and Google and everybody who, let's be honest, we were talking about uh, autonomous, Paul and I were talking about autonomous cars under the Uber banner a while ago. So it's, it's not like Tesla is putting out technology that doesn't exist. It exists. Yeah, yep. The problem is there's no, if you'll follow, if you'll follow the, the, the unintended pun here, there's no lane for it to be in yet. Nobody's established what does this do and what are the boundaries. Yeah. So... That's the, the, the kind of bait-and-switch part of this, I feel like. It's like, we're going to give you full autonomy when the software exists and the regulations say that it's okay. So it's, it's got two sides. Yeah, I, I feel like they were very, very uh, pick-and-choosy with their words, very careful with the way they worded it. They specifically said it's just hardware. They didn't mention software until, like I said, down at the bottom of this, yep, yep. this blog post. And I, I've seen comments from other, other journalists and other people commenting on their articles People freaking out, it's autopilot, you know, oh my gosh, it's going to crash into things. Well, it's just hardware. It's, it's, it's like mm -hmm, when you upgrade, mm -hmm. your, upgrade your computer or your cell phone, it doesn't know what to do with that until you tell it to do something. Yeah. And so it yeah. doesn't have the software to, to match it yet. And so it's, it's still a few, I mean, it could be a couple months, it could be, it's probably going to be several years before. It'll probably be years. I mean, based, based on the fight that's going this. on. Yeah. yeah, based on the fight that's going on even in California, where California is talking about, Every county is going to be able to do their own regulations, and Google and others are saying, that's not possible. We can't even drive across a city then because every county is going to have their own regulations. So, I mean, there's, there's so much fight to happen yet to allow this to happen that Tesla has time, genuinely. And, now, now they, and, and everything they're putting in hardware-wise, you're right. Hardware-wise, it's fairly straightforward. It's sensors. It's cameras. It's the capability to connect it to software. But the software doesn't even fully exist. I mean, and, and look, side note. Of the systems out there, Tesla's is already the best as far as anything a consumer can get their hands on. I mean, I know that Google and Uber and these have got technology that does full autonomy. I know that exists. But if you as a consumer want to go buy one, the best one out there is Tesla right now, period. It just is. It's yeah. very impressive. But the stuff they're talking about is the next-gen stuff, the full autonomy stuff, where you don't even have to, to know how to drive, summon your car, have it take you to work. That kind of stuff that is very sci-fi is still, in spite of yesterday's announcement, very sci-fi because yeah. 
nobody knows who's going to be allowed to use it and how it's supposed to work yet. And they have time to figure that out. And then because they can do that cool thing where they push software over the web, I mean, just over the airwaves, then your car can be updated when you can use it. But it's not like you're going to buy a car in 2017 or get your Model 3 in 2017 or 18 or 19 or whatever it is. And you're going to suddenly be able to go full autonomy. It's going to have, every, it's going to have to do everything but have the hardware. All the rest of the stuff's got to be figured. Yeah, they're, they're, they're just preparing themselves. And, and who knows, maybe some of this hardware... Well, like you said, they're dialing back with what they're they're letting out to everybody. But maybe this hardware is better than what they had. Before. Well, it is better than what they had before. It is. But maybe oh, yeah, yeah. it will help their current systems be just that much more safe with what they've already got. I think it will be. I think even if even if the current autopilot level isn't improved for a while, and that's quote unquote all you can get, it's still great. It is great. Yeah. It just as we've talked about before, it's not full autonomy. It requires the driver to still be involved because when that level of autonomy, which is kind of level two, we've gone into it before, when that level of autonomy freaks out is at the worst time, at the point when it doesn't know what to do, and that's when it gives up. So you as a driver have to be aware. Yep. But for all the normal commuting stuff, I gotta be honest, it's great. Oh, it's yeah. fantastic. So it'll be really interesting to see how this actually unfolds because it gives Tesla, I mean, we're talking about it, it gives Tesla the ability to have an amazing press release, isn't this cool, but you drill down to what's it really going to be, and it's going to be hardware sitting there in your car that's going mostly unused for the time being. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I'm I'm really excited about the direction they're going. There's a lot of talk with autonomy and how, you know, it's, it's a really cool tech, and there's a lot of safety involved, but I I just don't want it to take away from those of us that still want to drive too. Like I, I would love to be able to, to use the autonomous on like road trips and you, you know, mm-hmm. hit, Hey, I'm going to LA or, or wherever from here and not have to worry about it. But if I want yeah, to take it up right. some back road, I can still go have some fun too. Yeah. That, that's the other part of the equation. You're right. That, that nobody has figured out yet is what about those that still want to drive? Yeah. Are there going to be designated lanes for autonomous cars versus the rest of us? Because, you know, are you going to be required to drive? Now, is there a point at which, look, I'll, I'll go ridiculous, conspiracy theorist for a second. A car is a deadly thing. We all know this. Yep. Is there a point which, if you want to drive the car yourself, you're considered wielding a deadly weapon? Whereas if it, you go autonomous, you're not. I mean, how, and I'm talking 20, 30, 40, 50 years in the future, what's the point at which that's such the minority, because it will be the minority at some point, that now there's special extra regulations and only certain places you can drive. I mean, all of this has got to be figured. But the thing that I think is fascinating, in fact, Elon Musk made some sort of comment, nearly offhand comment, where he said that that if the press keeps talking down autonomous cars, the press is now uh, responsible for killing people. I was like, that's a, you're going a kind of a bridge too far there. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's a a little, it's a little aggressive. Uh, But, um, because we all know that cars are, are dangerous. They, they kill more people than pretty much anything. I mean, don't worry about terrorism. Worry about your car. I mean, I hate to say it that way because I love cars. But just stats-wise, you're much more likely to get injured or killed driving an automobile than any of the things that the news headlines would tell you to worry about. Yeah. But we're not saying – I'm certainly not saying, even though the autonomy discussions would declare this, the autonomy discussions would declare all people behind the wheel are terrible drivers and just let's, let's let Skynet take over. <laughs> we're not all terrible drivers and even my commute I enjoy driving because I just like to drive yeah so it's it's there is a layer of if there's the people that don't want to drive yes please go autonomy or like you're saying if you're sitting in stop and go traffic in LA let's go autonomous if I'm going to do a six hour drive at freeway speeds on a straight line let's go autonomous but 
I want to have the option. So all of this stuff is unknown, but you had a big press splash with this announcement, and it still is sci-fi. Yeah, and, and it always reminds me of, of you know the, the film iRobot, where he's driving, trying to go figure out the problem, and he's he takes over the, the car as autonomous in this movie, uh-huh. and he takes over manually. Yeah, and yeah. The, the, the woman with him is like, you're going to drive manually? Are you crazy? Mm-hmm. I just, I really hope we don't get to that point. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, unfortunately, it'll probably happen, but yeah, I'll be curious to see. Back to the old joke that I keep saying that at that point, it's like we're making horse fancy videos. We're making them for an even more niche market. But for now, <laughs> uh, we are talking to people that are driving their cars. I want to transition to James in Australia who wrote to us. And uh, he, uh, he wrote to us because he's just graduated from college. So congratulations on finishing university down there, uh, James. And I want to write to, I want to talk to you about what you've written in. Which is, and it's actually a very funny email. He's talking about. Yeah, how I was a, laughing the whole time. Anemic and horrible his current car is, he says. And I have to, I, this is the, the quote of yours I do have to say, James. You've got a 2002 Golf SE, which you describe as having a 1.6 liter engine that generates approximately three horses, a dog, and an unwell goldfish. Yeah. Not a powerful car. <laughs> uh, and, and a bit discordant, it sounds like, too. So, anyway, that's, yeah. that's where you started. You have given I love the, I love the Paul limiter that everyone's giving now. You you have legitimately twenty thousand Australian dollars. Okay, you're giving Paul an allowance of as much as twenty five thousand if need be. So everybody's kind of which, acknowledging that Paul's going to walk around a bit. Which if he was here, he would take that up anyways. So if with Paul budget, yes, you got to drop it down lower, not give him more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have to buffer yourself. That's a fair point. And and you admitted what you really want is the brand new Mustang that's down there, and you can't even begin to afford it. That's like a dream car for you. Yeah. So where this gets serious and where it gets tough is you're a big guy. You're six feet tall and you're big, and you're partially big because you've been in an accident and you haven't been able to work out. And you made a comment where that's murder on your waistline, and now you're trying to get back in healthy, and we we hope that for you. We hope that that helps getting back into exercising, but you're just acknowledging you have a bad back from your accident, so there's got to be comfortable seats, and you're a big guy. Now, you currently drive a golf, so you're not not afraid of small things, but okay, you're talking about you want more fun than your current car, and James, the bar's been set low, so we'll yes. be fine there. <laughs> but low. but you've got to be able to stay in your budget. So around twenty twenty five thousand Australian, and uh, you need a good you need a good set of seats, and you're hoping to enjoy driving. You do need automatic because that relates to your back pain as well. So I actually wandered around a bit, but I think I landed on a couple cars that I really like here. But I'm very curious what you took with this, Chance. Yeah, I, I kind of wandered around a little bit too. It took me a while to kind of find a good website that was reliable enough to find Australian mm-hmm. prices and, and yeah, sure. local cars I there. The I finally found one, and uh, I found the, I've found four cars here, and I kind of put them in pairs. So two of them are similar, and the other two are similar to each other. So okay. I, I kind of took the the 2015 Mustang idea and ran with it. And I okay. thought, okay, let's go with some rear-wheel drive cars that are, you know, comfortable, have power, and would be a good time, but still have enough room that you can, you know, they're they're going to be practical. You can still throw yeah. stuff in the back. Yeah, yeah. And okay. So the the first two I found are are very Australian. So I've got a a 2013 Ford Falcon XR6. They've got a, hmm. a four a, a liter six cylinder. It's an automatic. Uh, they're uh, they're under 300 horsepower. I forget what exactly the number is, but this is this particular one I landed on has 
53,000 kilometers on it, and it's only 20, only, it's 24,000, so I, I'm filling in for Paul, so I'm taking the liberty of using the, the Paul <laughs> buffer here. Yep. <laughs> so yep. I found that, and I know the, the whole Ford Holden situation down there, so I, I, I covered both sides of this equation. Cause there you did, good you, job. You mentioned Ford, Ford but I'm going to give you the Holden side too. And I found a 2009 Holden Commodore SS, which is mm. essentially the same thing as the Pontiac G8 for, yep, for us is. Americans. It's a great right? one. That's a very good one. So it's got so the six liter, six liter V8. It's mm. 66,000 kilometers on it. It's 25 grand. There's a bunch of these down there for around this price that I found. Yep. Yep. And uh, that's it's, excellent. That one's in well great done shape. On, well done on both of those. I'm glad you chased the Australian. Uh, Mark specifically. I actually was kind of curious if you were going to go there. I'm glad you did because that means I don't have to and I can chase another rabbit trail. But but I, I do want to say this this to you real quick, James, that I, I just don't have an answer for you on one main thing, and that is seats. I chased specifically trying to get you a comfortable car that's also fun to drive. That was the real thing I, I connected to. And the fact that you currently have a hatch, I just kind of followed all of those rabbit trails. Chance yep. has gone rear-wheel drive for you, which I love, and he's gone Australian for you, which means you've got options. I like all of this. The biggest question, though, is you're going to have to go to every car we're talking about and get in these seats and try them. Because while yeah. we can guide you toward these are cars with decent seats, doesn't mean they're decent seats for you. So there, unfortunately, is no way for us to get ahead of that problem other than you just getting time in seats. And I would submit to you, as, as you start narrowing down cars that you really like, you need to be very candid with whoever's selling it and just say, I need some time in this car. I need two, three hours with this car to go drive it. Because yeah. the, the 15-, 20-minute uh, uh, test drive isn't going to tell you what the seats are going to feel like long term. And that's genuinely a concern for you. So don't do it until you get close. But once you get close, be really candid about, I need this car for the afternoon. I need to go give it some real seat time. Because that's the only way you're going to catch that. I, hate, I would hate for you to buy something and realize two hours into ownership, wait, these seats aren't good enough. So I chased seats specifically. Okay. There are two or three automakers that generally make great seats. And uh, Porsche's one, but the other two are Volvo and BMW. Both make excellent seats, just yeah. in general. Their seats kind of across their lineups are really good. So what, where I settled on, following with what you want, which is some fun, you need it to run, you need it to be automatic, well within your budget, but good seats. I settled on Volvo. You can mm. find yourself a C30, which is their little hatchback, an R design of that even, which is the one you want. Great seats. Good-looking car, has the hatch mentality, much more interesting than your Golf, a lot more fun to drive yeah, than your Golf. So those are fun little cars, and they're often forgotten, but there are quite a few. I found a lot down there for the budget that you have. I would seriously suggest, and again, I'm chasing, I'm using seats, pardon the pun here, I'm using seats as my entry point, and I'm going, what cars work around that? I think the Volvo uh, C30R design is a good one. I will also say the S60R design. Now, again, you could get the non-R design and probably still have a good one because the seats in general are good. But get the R design if you can. I found S60s for your budget as well. That's a similar scale or size car to the Falcon that uh, Chance is bringing up. So yeah. now these aren't rear-wheel drive. I like Chance's recommendations for rear-wheel drive and because you're going to have options, which is what I love. But I don't know those cars' seats, so I can't speak to that. Please go get in them. We'd love to have you in the big power for rear-wheel drive car because that's – that Mustang you're less than after, we're getting you close. Chance is here for you. Yeah. <laughs> but should those seats not work, I highly recommend looking at those two Volvos. C30 and S60, both could be great cars to solve your problem. 
Yeah, it's really interesting. And I'm glad you went that route because I, I too started looking at hatchbacks because trying to keep them in, that's kind of what he's got already. But I wanted to kind of branch out and see what else there was out there. And I did have one of my other cards that I found for him I think would be also worth mentioning. It's kind of a wild card. I found okay. a 2004 Nissan Skyline 350 GT. And it, it's, <laughs> it's not the Skyline GTR that you're thinking I of. I understand. Yeah, this I is understand. The, uh, that's basically the Infiniti G35. So uh-huh. it's it's the Nissan 350Z type car. It's got leather seats. It should be pretty comfortable. So it's it's the the luxury version, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got this particular one that I've came across. It's got sixteen thousand kilometers on it. That's practically brand new, barely broken yeah. into. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it's twenty five grand. Okay, that's a really good one. That's a great alternative. I totally like that, and I like the fact that it's rear-wheel drive and does all those kind of things. Again, the mystery for me is seats. I just don't yeah. have a, a recollection about, I mean, because I know the Volvo ones are good, but you're going to have to get in that Infiniti and try it. I think that's a great option, though, Chance. I'm glad you find that as well. That's really good. That's yeah, really, seats, really good. And, seats and overall ride quality, I think, because if it's a pretty harsh suspension, you that'll probably kill your back, too. So you might want to yes. pay attention to that as well. Yeah, so there's definitely there's definitely a personal preference thing that's going to happen here, James, by you just climbing in stuff. I would love it if you wound up in one of these uh, Commodores or Falcons. And I, and I will admit, kind of because they're forbidden fruit for us. I mean, yeah, we have yeah. the G8. Yeah, we have the SS. But those good, homegrown, real Australian muscle car four-doors, they're cool. And I think that would be a fun way to get close to the Mustang. Now, you may be, you may be shaking your head at, the, at, at your uh, podcast uh, device right now and saying, <laughs> I don't want an Australian car. Maybe that's the case. Maybe they're yeah, too baby. common. So we've yeah. given you options. But we certainly are intrigued because we can't get them. And, I mean, yeah, this Ford Falcon's awesome. I, you know, I'm intrigued by it. But there's some great stuff to chase. Hopefully something in there is helpful to you, James. I hope you keep recovering and feeling better and getting more active. Uh, yes. Let us know where you wind up on that because we would love to hear. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, um, we should move on to the next one here. Uh, we've got Craig in Maryland, and Craig went somewhere strange. Uh, he said he's been listening to the podcast for a while. Thank you, Craig. I'm going to ask you personally and the rest of you listening if you've rated the podcast yet because you guys would – look, it's a cause-effect reality. We bring it up because when we bring it up, you guys rate and review. When you do that, it increases the awareness of our podcast. The podcast yep. has grown this year entirely based on you guys rating and reviewing, which is why we keep bringing it up. Thank you to those of you that are. We really appreciate it. So, Craig, I'm wondering if you already have. If you have, thank you. If you haven't, we would appreciate the help. But thank you more than anything for writing in. And I'm glad that Chance is here to help you because you're deep in Mustang lore. Very. Uh, he, he says specifically in his email that this is his fifth Mustang and his second Terminator Mustang. Now, in, in Mustang speak, that is the the, pre- the last generation of Mustang Cobra. So it was a supercharged mm-hmm. car. Had 390 horsepower, uh, independent rear suspension. They were kind of the, the very lusted after one mm-hmm. of the Mustangs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he specifically says that the, the one he has right now has about 500 horsepower. So that would just mm. be a beast of a Mustang. Yes, yes, brutal, brutal. And uh, so, so the, the, what I found was interesting was where he's going with this. He, he says that. He's he's had enough Mustangs. He's he's wanting to kind of branch out and and look at other things, and where he landed is is very very fascinating to me. He I agree. I he, agree. I mean he's he's said here that the 500 horsepower has been fun, and the Cobra his, his acknowledgement his description is that for a Mustang it handles well. Yeah. But he's essentially going. 
I think I should do something else. Now, his wife drives a Ford Explorer, so clearly the Ford blood runs deep here. Yes. But he's Not going Chevy runs deep, should, Ford runs deep. Exactly. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> should should uh, yeah, it, it's it's Ford blue blood. However we put it. I don't know what the Ford equivalent is, but I'm staying there. <laughs> Ford is the point here for Craig. But yeah. He's he's wanting to branch out a bit, and I think he's not sure if he should. He's considering selling that Cobra, but he's also asking, should I just be happy? But he's asking, should I just be happy while acknowledging the fact that he'd kind of like something that is about handling instead of brute power? So I think right there yeah. you've answered your own question, Craig. I, I think the, the answer at this point is you want to branch out. You want something that is about handling. So I say to you, wherever you end up, I say to you, yes, let's get rid of that Cobra if you need to. Now, if you're able to keep it and get something else, bonus. But it sounds to me like it's an either-or equation, and of course we're all about get a new experience uh, here, and we really want you to try other things. And you've had five Mustangs, and two of this car. So I would love for you to get something new. Somebody out there wants a Terminator Cobra Mustang and can't believe you'd even consider selling it. So that might be the pink slip trade that well, Paul's looking for. But uh, <laughs> Send it to Australia. James might like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be a cheap transaction. I'm sure yeah, it's right. very cheap to ship that. Maryland to Australia, that'll be easy. Just oh, yeah, put no it on problems. a barge. It'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. So I think but, I know where you were headed, uh, Chance, and that is that the company he's looking at for a possible car to replace. Because the other thing going on that I love here, and I want you to drop where he's headed, Chance, but the other thing that I love here is that he has a lift in his garage that he uses to store the Mustang. He can turn yeah. a two-car garage into three. So what he's open to is a project car, and that's where this takes a turn. Yeah, so he he's mentioned how in the past we've actually, you guys have, have mentioned the Factory 5 818, that little Subaru. The 818, the 818 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the little Subaru-based, not, not based, but Subaru-power-planted kit car. And they're, they're a very cool-looking little thing, and they're, mm-hmm. they're yeah. relatively inexpensive as far as kit cars go. They're about, I, I forget the exact price of them, but they're under twenty grand. And he also said he looked at the, the Mark IV Cobra replicas and, and so on. And I, I just want to say, uh, I used to work for a... a company that built Cobra replicas, uh, Welcome to the other reason that I put you yeah. on this podcast, because it was <laughs> like, he also has looked at replica Cobras, Chance, this is your floor. Yes, keep going. Yeah, so I, I just wanted to say that this is a very slippery slope with a kit car, is the, the fact that most of them, the kit you're buying, it's, it's, a, it's called a turnkey kit, and so you're buying, <laughs> you're buying the chassis basically in the body and the suspension, but that's it. You're not getting the engine and transmission. You got to supply that yourself, and that can you, you can go as cheap or as expensive as you want. And yeah, I, yeah. I've seen both sides of the equation. And the cheaper you go, the less pretty it is, and it doesn't always work. So just yeah. just if you wanted to go that route, I, I'm not. Not saying not to. I'm just saying be careful and be ready to keep throwing money at it. That it may take longer than you're anticipating as well. Well, it, I mean, well, but I've joked with you about your project car. Project cars take longer than you think, and they cost more than you think. That's yes. just that I have never met a person that discounts that reality and proves it otherwise. It's just that oh look, this cost me more in money and time than I ever thought it would. Project car. That's what they all do. Yep. But. As he was looking at Cobras and thinking about Factory 5, their Cobra replica, not the Cobra Mustang now, the, the, the Cobra replica, as yep. he was looking at that, he heard us talking about the 818 and went, huh, that's kind of cool. So his question is, should I do this? Which is kind of a loaded question because I don't <laughs> know. Uh, no, but I, but I will speak to it a little bit. I, 
what I think is great about it is this is so out of what you've done so far. It yeah. does answer the question about you want something to work on. Problem solved. You, you would like to have a different experience than your Mustangs. Also does that wonderfully well. I, I actually think you're better off getting a more unique, better handling, sweeter project car in the 818 than going for the Cobra. I think yeah. the Cobra's interesting. I think the 818 is going to be a better setup car when you're done. That's my suspicion. It also can be done cheaper. So I, I wish, honestly, I so wish, Craig, I could tell you my personal driving experience of the 818. We haven't driven it yet. Uh, nope. But I have never read one bad review about it. That's what's interesting is that everybody that drives it, look, you're essentially building a track car. So if you're going to build this to commute, you're in the wrong place. But if you're going to build it to take it somewhere and drive it hard, back roads at least, and track, hopefully, I think you'd be thrilled. So know what you're getting into. But the people that have driven it in those two combinations have been in love with the dynamics. Yeah. You're building yourself a mid-engined supercar for cheap. And you built it, which is cool. And it's Subaru parts, which means it's Legos. Yeah, So basically. all of that is great, great news. I think if you're interested, take a serious look at it. What I would recommend to you is this. Call the Factory 5 guys and see which ones they have built at their shop. You're in Maryland. They're in Massachusetts. I say make the trip. Go down there and get in one. Or see if they know somebody they've sold a kit to that is near you. I think you should, if you're serious about this, I say dig in a bit. Call them up. Find an owner between you and them or drive to them and actually get in one and look at one in person so that you know what you're talking about. I, if I were as close as you are, I would get in a car and drive right now. I would just be curious about it. So I think that's the thing to do is go get your, get your eyes on one in person, ideally get a test drive of one. I'm sure they have that SEMA demonstrator car available somewhere. I'm sure they do. It's gorgeous. It's black. It looks kind of like a, it almost looks like the current gen Cayman mixed with a Lotus Elise styling wise. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, but it's bare bones. It's a, it's a track and back road hooning car. It's not a, a nice drive car. So I think go take a look. I love that you're looking at it seriously. I really like this idea, but I think there's more research required. Yeah, uh, and I, I do believe that Factory 5 has their own in-house forum system that you can go look through with owners Probably, that yeah. have questions. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. That that would be a great place to go look to see what others have had, what current owners have had to say about them. And maybe there's one locally that you can talk with that you can meet up with. Yeah, I think that'd be key. I, I, think, I think getting yourself in front of one, Craig, is the first thing to do to really debate this. But I like that you're thinking about branching out. I think five Mustangs are enough. I mean, not that they're not, you're not enjoying them, they're not good. <laughs> but you've had five. Let's move on to something totally different. And you have gone totally different. That's what I love about this. You went, how much on the other side of the moon can I go? And you've done it. So I think uh, this would be great. And hey, you know, we're going to start doing track days all over the U.S. So uh, we may be near you when you have your factory five built. Bring it out. We'll love to see it. We'd love to drive it. That's right. I'm asking for your car and you don't even own it yet, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And, and speaking of one of the cars that I actually thought about when coming up with this debate is the Caterham that, you know, we actually, the video just dropped today. You're listening to this yes. on Friday, but it dropped today, Thursday that we're recording yeah, on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can't get the one that we reviewed for that money, but you can buy the, the lesser kits that have 150 horsepower, which for a thousand pound thing yeah. is a beast. Tons. Still, still a lot. Well, that's the thing. The one we drove was over 300 horsepower in a 1,000-pound car. That is madness on wheels. 
Yeah. And I have a story about that I actually should tell about how we you were there for it, Chance, but how we how we started to even get that car on camera was which is another funny story. But but yeah, I mean you don't need that much to enjoy that car. And you're right, kit wise, you could do that caterum with lesser power for around the same price. I love that you brought that up because it's a fantastic alternative to this. That's a great one. Yeah, it's super lightweight. It'll handle a track with ease. Well, maybe not with ease. It'll be a handful, but it would be a <laughs> blast of a car. It's a car you build yourself. You you can buy them mm-hmm. complete, but you build them yourself. The kits are, oh, what did I see? It was like, where is it? It's like 15, well, 15 grand or so. They are similar. The problem, the problem is if you buy the built ones, they're forty five and up. I mean, because I looked them yeah, up, and, yeah, and that's and even the the low power ones are that kind of price. You get into the one we were in, I mean, that's a six figure car, believe it or not. But uh, but you're right. If you want to build one, if that's where we're headed, that is a great alternative. I love that you brought it up. Yeah. So so then on the flip side, I, one of the things that he it seems like he specifically mentioned or alluded to is the reason he's selling his his Mustang Cobra is because it's not really a track car. And mm-hmm. so, so I kind of went, okay, well, a, a car that would be a, an interesting idea, this may be taboo for a Mustang guy, but I found a 2007 <laughs> C6 Corvette. It's a manual. It's, it's a great all-around car. You can still drive around yes. in it and enjoy it on your commute even, but still go to the track and have a ball. Mm-hmm. Did you find one for this kind of money though, for twenty grand? I found one for nineteen nine in Look at you in well New Jersey done. with ninety three thousand okay. miles. A little high miles, but okay. it, it's it might be worth looking at. We're looking into okay. All right. Well, I love that. That's great. Yeah, I'm I'm actually digging around on. Uh, you've got me down down a bad rabbit trail on caterums. I hadn't gone there because I was thinking about the big boy. And <laughs> it's now it's I'm awful, down isn't a, it? The bad dark <laughs> rabbit trail. I mean, their their base one here is zero to 60 in five seconds, okay? So, I mean, it's not, and that car, you are, you're, you're driving a lawn chair. You feel so exposed at high speed, and it is wonderful to get the back out. We didn't get any good coverage of getting the back out in that car, but it's very easy to do, especially with the heavy power one we had. So I love that as an alternative. So Caterham 818, I think, chase both those cars, actually get your eyes on them specifically, and then you've found a great alternative in the vet. That's really good. Yeah, so... All things to, to look into. Yes, so. definitely. Let us know what strikes you on this, uh, Craig. And if you go, honestly, if you go to Factory 5, you contact them and go see one of their cars, I'd love to hear back from you, hear what that experience is like and what they think. We definitely need to try to get in one of those since we've talked about them a few times. I'd actually like to get into a lesser catering, but I want to bring up that one, the monster, the 620R that we drove. And as I understand the nomenclature, Caterham lists their number. They're all the Caterham 7. They're based on the old Lotus 7. So they're all the Caterham 7, but their nomenclature speaks to horsepower per ton. Well, all their cars are roughly half a ton in weight. So the horsepower is generally about half the number on the side. So we were in the 620R, which had 311 horsepower and about a 1,000-pound car. Which is uh, borderline too much, candidly. It's bonkers, um, put it that way. It's, it, it, it is quite <laughs> insane. What was so funny is that we were at that Chicago track day at Audubon Country Club. It was our first kind of adventure thing we'd ever done. We spent the morning. I mean, so many people came out. Thank you for those that came out. So many of you came out. We did a podcast. We were helping people get on track. We were making sure people were taken care of. And then we thought, all right, this afternoon we should try to shoot something. We yep. wanted to shoot something interesting. So the three of us, Paul and Chance and I, were all there. We were walking around the parking lot trying to find something interesting. And then I remembered that Paul had met this owner, Matt, at lunch. And Matt just said in passing, yeah, I'm the guy in the caterum. So we started going, wait a minute, could we get in the caterum? 
Well, Matt had met us that morning. In fact, as I understood the story, and I don't even know why this happened, but as I understood the story, Matt, and if you're listening, awesome. And if your neighbor's listening, hello. Matt's neighbor is a doctor <laughs> in Chicago that listens to the podcast. Yep. And he heard that Matt was going to Audubon Country Club on that day, and the doctor couldn't go. And he said, oh, the guys from Everyday Driver are going to be there. And Matt said, who? I have no idea who you're talking about. So he kind of explained the show to Matt, and then Matt comes and then meets us. So he had that weird kind of small world connection prior. Yep. So I walked over, as I am prone to do, uh, I mean, I just asked somebody for their 818. So, you know, but I, I walked over to Matt and I just said, look, we want to drive something today and put it on camera. We want it to be something unique versus, I mean, we had a couple of great people that were there that were followers of the show that offered their F FRS up. Awesome. Yep. I love driving an FRS. In fact, we drove Nate's on the track. Incredibly fun car. But you guys know we've covered it. I mean, Chance and I no, both own that platform. Beat it to so, death, really. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was no driving down on the track and it being new and interesting. But here's a guy with a caterer, and he's got the big boy that nobody has. So I walked over to Matt, and I said, hey. I mean, it was longer than this, but I said, hey, I would really like to put your car on camera. It's unique enough. We'd love to put it on track. What do you think? And he looked at me deadpan and said, you ever been on a track before? Yeah, it and was what hilarious. I thought was, what I thought was hysterical about that, that, conversa that question was a couple of things. First off, I mean, he was, he was new to meeting us, so he didn't know it, what we'd done. But yeah. what I loved about his tone and his demeanor, and it really speaks to Matt and how generous he was, is the demeanor in that moment wasn't, you absolutely can't. His demeanor was, even if you say you've never been on track before, I'm still considering it. That was yeah, the demeanor yeah. that he had. And I was shocked by that. I thought, <laughs> you're actually considering this, and you don't even know if I can drive, let alone drive on a track. So I started listing off the tracks we'd, we'd been to. I mentioned we'd been to the Ring and Spa, and he stopped me, and he said, if you've been at the Ring and Spa, you can drive my car, which is very yeah. cool. So yeah. that, was the, that was the close of that conversation is you got, okay, if it's those tracks, you can go. But I loved, Matt, thank you, that you, I could see in your face you were considering it even if I had no idea how to drive. So you're a very generous guy. That car was nuts. I had about two laps and a cool down. Paul had like a lap and a half, half of which was, I think, under, under flag. So yeah. We got so little time in that car. I would have loved to have had a whole session to really learn it, but it was so much fun. Yeah, and Paul actually got to take it out on the streets with, with Matt with him, yes. which was kind of a cool experience for them both. Which was very cool, except for being frightened by 18-wheelers. But, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I would have liked a full, full session in that car to really get to know it. I was just starting to get to know it. I had a few, you know, full-throttle, multi-shifting blasts, and it is crazy fast. But yet so light and chuckable. I mean, the back, when the back comes around, it's progressive. And you saw, if you saw the video, there's so little steering angle required to get a lot of movement that you can catch it really easily. I mean, it's just, that is a fantastic track car. So uh, back, to, uh, back to our friend Craig, who's considering a track car to build. Definitely keep that in mind. I'm glad you brought it up, Chance. We should do some Facebook questions. Yes, let's. <clears throat> we have tons. We mentioned earlier today uh, that Chance is going to be on the podcast, and I think you guys have got 30 or 40. Thank you for that. We've both written down a few, but, uh, yeah, where do you want to start? Yeah, I'm actually, I just want to actually say thanks to everybody for the, the warm welcome, so to speak, I guess, of, of welcoming mm -hmm. me to the, the podcast and how many – Yeah, definitely. Uh, I was shocked at how many comments were left and how many tweets I got after last week's. So so thank you guys for the love, and I'm, I'm glad I'm, I'm filling in well. Uh, yeah, well, we're glad to have you. I mean, one, one of the big things, and I know we talked about this a little bit the last time, and you did do a really good job, but one of the things we talked about the last time is, you know, Paul and I are, are headed toward actual guests on the podcast that have nothing to do with Everyday Driver that we're bringing in to join us. We're excited about that. We've got some cool ones coming up. As early as next week, we have a guest. I can't announce it yet, but as early as next week, we have somebody really cool. But 
when one of us is gone, we didn't want to introduce a completely outside of everyday driver person, which is the great yeah. thing about having Chance step in. He's been involved in so much stuff that he can speak to not only, obviously, cars, but he can speak to Mustangs, which is more than Paul and I can say, and uh, and he can also speak to what we're doing in the show. So it's great to have that organic person, so we're glad to have you, and thank you guys that are listening for embracing uh, Chance stepping in here. And Paul will be back, and we will hear Madness from Asia, which I'm excited about, I'm too. I'm sure, what, yeah. Uh, what Facebook questions did you like? So there was uh, two of them that I want to touch on real quick that were directed specifically at me, not to, not to be all you know, me me me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, go for uh, it. Embrace it. That, but, it uh, yeah, go for it. Carrie Turner asks, "What I do for my, my day job?" And uh, it's kind of a, a loaded question. When my wife saw it today, she's like, "Tell him that you're a house husband and you're not very good at it." <laughs> which <laughs> which is kind of true. I, I, I'm not. She very good makes at that. fantastic comments, and she's very <laughs> tolerant of us and all the car madness. But yeah, keep going. But uh, I kind of have, in a sense, I've got three jobs. So on top of doing this, uh, which is a couple times a month and, and, and sort of shoots but and podcasting. But, videos, yeah, you know? a, couple to- a couple times a month for shoots and podcasts, but it's a lot more than that behind the scenes. Keep going. Right. Um, I also, I'm a photographer at uh, Utah Motorsports Campus. I do a lot of racing photography out there. And uh, so I, I do that on the side. That's another weekend thing I do. And my, my actual day job, I'm a part-time student at Utah Valley University. I'm studying journalism. And I also work there part-time as well as a mm-hmm. uh, administrative programmer. I just kind of look at files and move things around. It, it's all very boring. It's but, data uh, entry madness. Chance is thrilled when I interrupt him at work. Genuinely thrilled. Oh, He's yeah, what's it's, up? It's, it's, what's going on? It's, what can we talk about that's not my job? But – but we shouldn't. Un- <laughs> yeah, exactly. We should not. Uh, we should not underestimate the value of Chance's photography. I mean, if if you aren't following his Instagram, it's worth it because his track photos are superb. He's one of those guys that can stop the track car in motion. The whole rest of the world's blurred. And and here's the thing: there's one level of skill at doing that when the car is going twenty. When you see a car that looks like the whole world is blurred on a cover of a magazine, very often that car has been honestly put into neutral and pushed. It's yeah. going five miles true, an hour, yeah. and it's just the shutter speed is such that it looks that way. Chance is pulling that off while the car goes by at triple digits. So yeah. this is a guy with some genuine skill. So, uh, yeah, that's one of the reasons that we had him join us uh, for shoots, and uh, I'm glad that you do, and your stills are fantastic. Well, thanks. I appreciate that. And that, I think that's a, that's a good lead, lead into the next question by uh, David Watson. And he, he asks me specifically, what are some unique challenges of shooting cars instead of scenery or sports? And what, what the most rewarding part about being a photographer is? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're very hard to compare. I mean, I shoot some, some landscape stuff as well. Um, I like shooting things like city skylines and, and architecture and things like that. It's, it's all very, very different as far as shooting cars go. Yes, because none of that stuff is moving, which is one of the big, big aspects. Yeah, or or none of it could hit you at speed too, which is a separate problem. Yeah, and I, I greatly prefer shooting stuff like that rather than shooting portraits and weddings and things like that. <laughs> yeah, largely because I just don't want to deal with the drama of of the bride getting all upset over whatever little thing, and it coming down on the photographer, which I've heard so many sure. horror stories about. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I can but, see that. Well, I think one of the rewarding parts about it is shooting racing and things like that is just the people you get to meet, the cars you get to see and be mm-hmm. around. And uh, we, I talk about this with Gavin at the track all the time. He's one of our other shooters. Mm-hmm. It, it's funny walking around the paddock at the track, even if it's just on a local level, 
how many people know who we are, but we don't know who they are just because they see our work and we know kind of, mm. we'll know them by car, but we won't know them by name necessarily. Sure, sure. So we'll yeah, have yeah. someone yeah, yeah. Sh- shout out, hey, Chance, and you're like, hey, I'm not sure who you are, but <laughs> why, why do you know <laughs> my name? Good job today. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, That's uh, funny. But talking with them, it's like they have, you know, four or five of us to remember Whereas mm-hmm. we have 150 of them to remember, it's it's sure, two totally yeah. different things, and it, it's just a whole night, a whole uh, uh, well, it's a lot of fun, put it that way. So interesting. Well, you and you guys do great stuff, and you're kind of on the roster all the time for media credentials out there at the, our local track there, and I know you shoot all the time out there. And every time you come back from a weekend with your few thousand shots, you always come away with a few that are uh, that are pretty stunning. So. Um, and then, you know, it's been funny to have you uh, transition from stills to videography because it's a very different animal. Um, yes, it is. Your, it... your hands are a lot more important in videography because, you know, you can get that quick, fast shutter. And look, hands are important in stills. I'm not taking that away. No, totally. But you've got this long progression of my movement's got to be very smooth because it's all getting recording that happens when we're actually filming. And that has certainly changed the world and challenged you quite a bit, I think. But uh but but you still have that great photographic eye, which is one of the things that we love so much about working with you because you can get not just the car, but here is the scene the car's in. That's something we've always tried to do. Yeah. Because we, we live in a beautiful place. Let's cover it. And, and it's funny, like talking to Tom, he's so jealous of the spots that we do our beauty shots because we'll be on the side of a mountain somewhere with this awesome backdrop. And, and sure, in Europe, yeah. it's just trees. He doesn't have the hills that he can go up into. And yeah. he's, I keep telling him, look, you've got the Nurburgring in your back, right, backyard. And he's like, I don't care. I want to go to your canyon yeah. roads. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it, but it's all relative. You always want the thing you can't have. Yeah, the grass exactly. is always greener in reality. And, uh, but, but, I mean, yeah, he gets the great driving experience. But we do have some great just cliffs. I mean, yeah, I, I'm, I've been editing our uh, BMW Icon film. And it's one of the things that, that I'm enjoying so much about it is so much of the driving we did in that film is, is a road on the side of a mountain. Which yeah. I just love. I just love that visual. And I also just love that driving experience. So I'm glad that we can share it and you can be out there capturing with us. Um, I wanted to talk about uh, Greg Scamlebury wrote in a question I wanted to speak on real quickly. I thought this struck me. He said, what current car would we use to fool spy photographers? If you put it in that spy photographer camouflage, that digital black-white mesh camo thing, if you put it in that, yeah. what one would a spy photographer instantly think, oh, that's got to be the new something. And there's two very easy ones, I feel like. Any 911 or any Corvette. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, so they're true. <laughs> always making a new variation of that car. So if you took a current model and covered just the front clip in that just, camo. Just enough it. of it, yeah. Exactly. And drove it, especially if you drove it on a track, or especially if you drove it on the Nürburgring, take any 911 and put that, you know how people go to the track and they put the blue painter's tape to cover up their paint? Yep. Do that on a random tourist day at the ring with your current 911 and somebody will take a picture and decide it's, oh, it's the new whatever. What is this mystery 911? It's just a 911. But you I, could get away with that all day long. I remember actually seeing something like that a couple of years ago. It was a when the Lexus LFA was was on its way out, and somebody had one at the Nurburgring, and it had a different wing on it that was a little bit different than a factory one, and it had some okay. some vinyl over it. I, I, I'm trying to visualize it. It's been a few years, but they thought it okay. was something new and upcoming. But then it turned out to be just Funny. some random Joe driving his car. Some guy's car. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you have an LFA, you're not a random Joe. But I take your point. It was just some guy's personal car, and suddenly somebody thought it was a development model, which is what we're talking about. Yeah. So I love that, Greg. That was fun. 
Ben wrote in, Ben Prophet wrote in and, and talked about My Love of Lotus, which you know, clearly you've listened to the podcast. But um, he, he made the comment where he said he's heard that Lotus is struggling financially. And his secondary question is, does that concern me? If I had the money, would I buy a used Lotus? I'm going to back up multiple decades real quick, Ben, and say this. Lotus has always been struggling financially. Yeah, it's true. They've never really been okay. For whatever reason, they've never really partnered with any company that has really made them solid. I mean, you've got like the Lamborghinis of the world that finally got serious when Audi bought them. Lotus has existed in this random space with owners and co-owners and whatever, but they've never really been solid. Yeah. When they got bought a few years ago, there was this, you know, a lot of big articles and they were making a new Esprit and they were going to release five cars and then all of most of that was smoke and mirrors. The Esprit no. project died, which is tragic. And but all those all cars they this, brought out were gorgeous too. I wish they made them. They were cool. They were cool. But all of this to say I would buy an Elise or an Evora tomorrow. I, I just, I would. I know that the biggest problem is body panels because the stuff underneath you can get. Yeah. but. One of the biggest <clears throat> things about Elise's especially is you can find a lot of Elise's. The ones you want are 30 to 40 grand, which is shocking that they're still there. But you can find them for 20 to 25, but almost always those are branded title or salvage title yeah. cars. The, but the, the ones trick, that you may or may not want, yeah. Exactly. But the trick with the Elise is that's one of the very few that I have seriously considered buying one of those cars because what happens is the whole back half of the car is one big clamshell piece. That costs a lot. So most of the time, if somebody dinged one of those, the insurance company just, just totaled the car. The car's done. Because yeah. it was so hard to get one of those pieces and get that piece over here. I know the, the B is for Build site is trying to build Navora right now, and they're having all kinds of problems sourcing parts. This is the issue. It's the body panels. It's the body panels and the glass and that kind of thing that makes those hard. The rest of the stuff you can find. I would still get one, absolutely but, uh, yeah, I wish they would find a company that would really shore them up and give them confidence financially. But they've always been in trouble, always. Yeah, and they've been with Toyota for so long now. And Toyota hasn't really been – they've been supplying their drivetrains is really all it is. That's about as Well, yeah, they've had that partnership, that, but, but they're, partnership, but they're owned now by – why can't I think of who owns Lotus? Somebody's already yeah, was, screaming it at the podcast. I trying to think but, of who it was, too, and I don't remember. Um, but anyway um, – Proton, that's who it is. Proton owns them. And, uh, and oh, so, they've always you know, they struggled, have a, they, too. They have a current owner, but it's not like you know, it's not like somebody huge came alongside and just absorbed them, and now they're just solid like Audi did for Lamborghini. It would be yeah. interesting to see that happen. But you know, this has been the Lotus story, and in a weird way, it makes them that kind of scrappy brand that keeps surviving and makes this great stuff. I will stop trying to wax poetic about Lotus, and we'll move on. Well, that kind of leads into Patrick Harris's question is, why don't you think Toyota did a joint venture with Lotus with their new, mm. the upcoming uh, sure. FT1? Not, I, I wish people would stop calling it the Supra because it's not been labeled the Supra yet. Everyone's just calling it that. that well, that, you know. That, that's just me. But but, <laughs> <laughs> but the, I think the reason why they're putting the BMW motor in that is, you know, in Supra t tradition, here I go calling it that, the Supra was always a straight six. And BMWs mm, mm. build straight sixes, and Toyota doesn't. Sure, well, that, that's, that's my good. hunch of why why they might be doing that. Well, but I think the thing that Toyota's been doing, and the, and the FRS BRZ is another example of this. While they have racing history, tons of it, yeah. that's something they've left behind. Their 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 models for the last couple of decades haven't had that rear wheel drive fun that they did in the eighties and nineties, and so 
as they're stepping into sports car, cars again, they are sharing the cost and the risk, let's be candid, with companies that have the, the kind of sporting intentions they're looking for. So you have Subaru for the FRS BRZ and BMW who will share the chassis. and share. It's about sharing the load and sharing the risk of all the development. And so we just talked about Lotus is shaky financially. They can't share anything. They can share yeah. expertise, but financially they can't take any kind of the burden out of it. So you've got to partner with big boys, and that leads to Subaru – and Subaru's not big, but they're tons bigger than Lotus. That yep. leads to Subaru for the FRS BRZ and for this potential Supra or whatever we're calling it. That makes sense to be – I love your inline six recommend, uh, notification, by the way, because that actually is a very good observation on why that would make sense. And I hope it does. Yeah. And I, I think some of it could be that, you know, Lotus has never – the ventures that they have done – They've done not for themselves, but for somebody else, like the old Lotus Carlton mm-hmm. Fords and things like, and, well, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, they've always had a separate. They've always had kind of two parts of the company. One is the internal company building cars, and the other part of the company has always been handling by Lotus. Those Lotus boffins, the engineers that know how to make cars handle well, that get hired out on and help some other car handle well, and you get a little badge on the side, and off you go. I mean, you know, yeah, the Carlton you're talking about, and there was an Isuzu and all kinds of stuff that have had that random badge on there. So that's kind of their think tank part of the world. But, uh, yeah, they certainly aren't a company that could take on a big big project and and carry the financial load. So I think that's part of the reason. Yeah. And I'm I'm also wondering if Toyota has just forgotten how to do it themselves. You know, they've been doing so many, you know, the – the appliance cars of the world, basically. Sure. Did well, they? They don't seem to. They don't put that up front. They don't make that a priority because it's not their bread and butter, like a lot of. Well, that's true. Are. I mean, that's that's the thing we've talked about with the GTR and the FRS BRZ is a great example. I mean, anytime somebody comes out with a kind of bespoke, we made this to specifically be just this chassis sports car. They're never big sellers. They're always no. niche, niche sellers. And that's just the reality of it. So if you want to make money, you don't make a sports car. You make a Camry or an Accord or in this at this point, you make a f- small five-seat SUV. That's how you make money. Yep. So it's a hard gamble, and I think splitting the cost between two companies is helpful. Uh, speaking of that FRS BRZ ch- uh, platform, Kevin asked us, and we both own one, so this would be interesting to hear from both of us. Yep. What's our best FRS BRZ experience? Specifically, he's asking – what was the experience we had in the car that make it, made us go either, A, I have to buy one, or B, I'm awfully glad I did? I have one for both sides of that equation, one from before I bought it that made me go, I need one of these, and one from since I've owned it that made me go, thank God I have this car. But I'm curious what struck you, Chance. Well, mine, I've, I've always liked the car. When I first drove it, uh, when they were brand new in 2013, uh, went and test drove one. We were considering buying it, and then it just didn't end up working out. And we finally got one last year, and I don't know. There's just something about the car. It was affordable, and mm-hmm. it's just a great chassis. It's a lot of fun. It's not fast by any stretch of the imagination. You're not going to win many drag races, that's for sure. Yeah, true, but, true, true, yeah. But you go and take it up on some of our local canyon roads, and you're just like, oh, this car is is the business. It's amazing. And just just last week, I guess I have kind of a backstory to this, but just last week, my wife and I actually took it to the track for the first time. Mm. And we both had a ridiculously fun time. Um, <laughs> we, my wife was on track with a, uh, a guy um, in a McLaren 12C, and she was keeping up with him. Not, not like in the straights. He was just walking her in the straights, yeah. but he had no sense of a race line. 
he needed a driver modification. He, yeah. he needed a driver mod for sure. Yes. And, and so because of that, she was keeping up with him, no problem, despite being in a slower car. And yeah. you, you see things like that and you go, man, that is an incredible little car to be mm-hmm. able to keep up with, with someone like that, even if they're not the best of drivers. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a fantastic platform, and that was the thing. There were two times that dawned on me. I mean, look, we've driven the car a ton even before we added one as a long term fleet car. That the one, the orange one that I bought long before that. You can go all the way back to our first really good experience with it was when we did our uh, Pacific Coast Highway shoot with the yeah. Lotus Elise and with the uh, Hyundai Genesis Coupe. So we can go all the way back to that. That was our first good experience with the car, like lengthy experience with the car. But the the moment I drove one and thought I need one was a different shoot entirely. We were out in Ojai in California. We were shooting the the BRZ versus the WRX, kind of which one should you buy because they're so similar in price, and you can get them both from the same manufacturer. So if you haven't seen that piece, that one's got a lot of discussion that's that's happened on it because both of those are great cars under the same brand and so different. So on one of our favorite roads, it's it's out in Ojai and uh, Highway 33 out there that's amazing. We were way up that road, and it was the last day of the shoot. It happened to be just Paul and I finishing up the shoot. We were just doing our closing stand-ups and stuff. And when we left, I hopped in the BRZ, which was still on stock tires. And we were way up high on the – I mean, it's, it's a canyon road that climbs for a long time, so we're way up high. So I started down, and Paul was going to follow me in the WRX. And as we're leaving this big turnout – I may have told this story before. I don't know. But as we're leaving hmm. the big turnout, a guy came up over a hill out of a blind corner in a 06 STI. So he was faster than both of us. Yeah. But we actually both got out just ahead of him. So here I am headed down 33 in the slowest of these three cars by a long shot. And I am expecting at any moment for Mr. STI to show me just how much more powerful he is. Because this guy at least had some stuff done because it wasn't a stock exhaust. I mean, he had some power, clearly. What was interesting is we worked our way down that highway. I never got pressured by Paul or this STI. Hmm. Paul would catch me in the straights and then in the corners he'd – Paul can drive well. In the corners, he would he'd just get a little bit of distance from me, just a little bit in the corners, and then he'd close the gap again. Right. And the guy in the STI, the farther we went, the more we got a little, and never a ton, but the more we got a little bit of distance on him. Now, if we had a long straight, and there's a few on that road, he'd come thundering up out of nowhere. But yeah. when it got tight, especially near the bottom, he would just drift a little bit further, a little bit further back. So after the shoot, like a week or so later, we happened to get an email from this guy who <laughs> guessed that it was us. And he found the show and he wrote us an email. And he, one of his questions was, what had been done to that BRZ? And we were like, nothing. But I had the realization halfway down that drive when I realized that I was just enjoying myself. I wasn't frightened. I wasn't feeling like I was pushing the car. I just And I knew I was on the terrible tires. And I just thought, this is such a good chassis on one of my favorite roads. I need one of these cars. So that was the time it dawned on me. And then I have to say, when we first drove Paul's uh, Cayman GTS for the show, we took my car with it, and the two of us kept jumping back and forth. We used my car as the gear vehicle, and we kept jumping back and forth between <laughs> the GTS and the Cayman. And look, I look, the GTS is a much better car. It oh, yeah. should be. It <laughs> should be. The price alone, it should be. But... I never, ever got in that FRS and was disappointed in the dynamics after getting out of the GTS. That was shocking to me. In every other way, the Porsche is a better car, sound, deadening seats, everything about everything else about it. Power, of course, all of that. 
But to get in that FRS and to chase that GTS on a mountain road and to realize you're not embarrassed by what it can do and it feels satisfying after getting out of the Cayman, that was one of those moments where I thought, I'm thrilled I have this car. Because I was ready to get back in and be like, well, this is a letdown. And I was <laughs> in you know, things like sound deadening and these kind of refinement things, but not in dynamics, not at all. No, oh, yeah. And I can speak to that as well. Every time I drive our Porsche, I, I have a blast. And then when I, it take, it's a little bit of an adjustment when I go back to the BRZ. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 in some ways, it's disappointing because the build quality is not as nice. But sure, sure. the steering feel and everything else, it's, it's, just, it's, it's right up there. It really, it really is. There's a reason why that we beat that car into the ground and we keep, <laughs> keep re- referring it to people because it's just yeah. such an awesome car. Yeah. It's it's an interesting chassis, and I know we've we beat it to death, but I think that's appropriate somewhat because uh, you guys have asked questions in both chance, and I own it, and have driven other things like we're talking about back to back with it. So I'm thinking we probably we're at an hour. We probably should call it there. But uh, you guys had many many more questions that we will probably get to at another time. Uh, please keep asking them. It's fine. We ha- we have no problem seeing you repeat your questions. We know there are a lot posted. We aren't going to get to all of them at any one night. It would take keep, all uh, night to do so, that. <laughs> seriously, keep posting those on Facebook. We'll keep asking for them right before we record. Paul will be back with us next week. And uh, coming up, uh, we have many, many videos. Thank you for watching the Caterham. We've got some more stuff from Tom. We have that Lotus Evora eventually is coming that we drove when we were in Germany. Uh, We are going to share with you guys the highlight reel piece of that trip itself. And uh, somebody, that would be me, needs to edit that icon film so we can all watch a thing about BMWs. So that's happening as well. Gosh, Todd, come on, get on it. We're going to have to... I know. Put your I really ball ought to, of chain, you know. <laughs> exactly. I really ought to just, uh, yeah, stop podcasting and, and cutting anything and just cut that. No, that's not going to happen. But I For am going to get months, there. the next three months, it'll just be me and Paul. No. <laughs> exactly. There you go. Yeah. Todd's not here tonight because he's editing it. We, we've got him chained to the corner. But uh, in early December, that film is coming out. So thank you to those of you that have already said you're excited about it. We're excited, too. I was looking at footage just a few hours ago. And there's such great just middle of the summer. It made me want to drive. Chance, that was the problem. Because it's just now getting cold enough here that all these roads are closing and snowing in. And I'm looking at those same roads in the middle of prime driving season when everything was green and gorgeous and just thinking, I want to go driving. But, uh, yeah, that's what we're here for is to talk about driving and getting you guys in good cars. You can keep sending your car debates. Please do either everydaydriver.com. There's a contact us form there that you can send them that way or Everyday Driver TV at Gmail is the other place. That's the direct uh, email. We are reading everything you send, even if we don't get to it. So thank you for reaching out. And we will see you guys next week. We'll see you later. Bye.